All right, so we're in Revelation chapter 5. Before we get to Revelation 5, though, go to Zechariah chapter 1. So Zechariah chapter 1 is going to uh, lay the groundwork for uh, our Revelation study. All right, starting with verse 7. On the 24th day of the seventh month, that is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo. I saw a vision at night. In it, I saw a man seated on a red horse, standing among myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red sorrel and white horses. So I asked my Lord, what are these? The angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what these are. Then the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, these are the ones the Lord sent to range throughout the earth. They reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees. We have ranged throughout the earth. Look, all the earth is rusting and quiet. Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord of armies, how long will you withhold compassion from Jerusalem and the cities of Judah? With whom were you indignant these 70 years? The Lord responded with quiet, with kind and compassionate words to the angel who was speaking with me. So the angel who was speaking with me said to me, proclaim this. This is what the Lord of armies says. I am very zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are complacent. When I was angry only a little, they added to the evil. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I have turned to Jerusalem with compassionate feelings. My house will be built in Jerusalem, declares the Lord of armies, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem. Proclaim also this. This is what the Lord of armies says. Once again, my towns will overflow with prosperity. Once again, the Lord will console Zion. Once again, he will choose Jerusalem. All right, then you can go to Revelation chapter 5. And the reason I wanted to read that is, again, everything we read in Revelation is found elsewhere in Scripture. So here in Zechariah chapter 1, you have a vision of horses. Not gonna, it's not going to be the same amount of horses and so forth and riders, but the idea is there of this vision already. And the idea of that vision is God is bringing judgment on the people. And that's what we're going to see with uh, the, seven, the seven seals. Uh, my notes are not working. That is very disturbing. I'm sorry, not we finished, we did chapter five last week and we're on chapter six. All right, chapter six. And I watched when the lamb opened the first of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and there was a white horse and its rider held a bow. A crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and another horse, a fiery red one, went out. Its rider was given power to take peace away from the earth so that the people would slaughter one another, and a great sword was given to him. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there was a black horse. Its rider had a scale in its hand. And I heard a voice, something like, and I heard something like a voice from among the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not dilute the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and there was a pale green horse and his rider was named death and the grave followed closely behind him. They were given power over a quarter of the earth to kill people with a sword, with famine, with death, and by the wild animals of the earth. When the lamb opened the fifth seal, under the incense altar, I saw the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and because of the testimony they had maintained. And they called out with a loud voice saying, O Lord, holy and true, how long until you judge and exact justice for our blood from those who live on the earth? A white robe was given to each one of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until their number would be complete, when their fellow servants and their brothers would be put to death as they were. 
And I watched when the lamb opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. The sun became as black as sackcloth made of hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when it's shaken by a strong wind. The sky was removed like a scroll being rolled up. Every mountain and island was moved from its place. The kings of the earth, the nobles, the military leaders, the rich, the powerful, and everyone, slave or free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they kept saying to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come. Who is able to stand? All right. You guys under, understood all of that, right? All right. So. <laughs> so what we see, uh, what I've got up here again on the screen is uh, the picture of the lamb with the seven seals. So that's the picture of Jesus here. Then I, I want to share that picture just because it's freaky. But that's an imagery from the last chapter as well of Jesus as the lamb. And remember what the eyes stand for? The seven eyes. He sees, he sees everything. What about the horns? Power. And so just that imagery of Jesus as the wounded lamb. And yet... Uh, he is powerful, and he sees everything. And then this was, as I was looking for some images to share today and over the course of our other studies, uh, this is from one of our Wells artists, and this is just a sketch drawing, but he was trying to sketch these four beasts that we saw last time. Uh, the beasts with all of their eyes all over their bodies. Okay. All right, then we get to the imagery of the four horsemen. All right. So there, who is the, what is the first horseman? What, what color is it? White. All right, so go then to Matthew chapter 24. All right, Matthew 24, verse 14. So that's 1468 in your EHV Bible. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So what do you think this white horse represents? Hey, this is... This is Jesus going out into the world, preaching the gospel, all right? So as we go through these horses, I'm gonna ask you then at the end, when we see these horses, where do you see them now in our culture? All right, the second horse, what color is it? Red. Red. Uh, then go to verse four of Matthew 24. So the disciples are asking about the signs of the end times. Jesus answered them, watch out that no one deceives you because many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will deceive many people. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed because all these things must happen. And that is not yet the end. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But all these things are only the beginning of birth pains. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted and they will put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away from faith. They will betray each other and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because lawlessness will increase. The law of many will grow cold, but whoever endures to the end will be saved. All right. So looking at this red horse, who or what is it? No. 
Now look at the kind of line up with what we just read then in Matthew 24. And what does this, what does this uh, horse do? The rider on the horse do? What's that? The red horse is war. A fiery red horse. So this is this is war. Okay. Then the third horse. What color is that? Okay, black. And what is it rep? What is it symbolizing from Matthew twenty-four? Famine. And then the last one, the last color of the horse. And what is that symbolizing? Sickness and death. All right. And so what you're seeing here, and so this is one of the, the famous paintings. When you look up the four horsemen of the apocalypse, this is what uh, always comes up. Green or pale? Yeah. All right. So you. So this is the the symbolism. So then, with the red horse, where do you see war in our world, in our culture right now? Not just our culture, but I guess in our entire world. In the entire world. Yeah. Well, Middle East, but it doesn't have to be just the Middle East. It can be, it can be, yeah, well, that's the Middle East, but. Yeah. This morning. Okay, what about what was going on with China this morning? Oh, we got the aircraft carrier from us in Britain. We have two aircraft carriers down there. China's loading up around what's in the island. Taiwan. Taiwan. Okay. So everyone's loading up down there and getting ready for something. Defense, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So there's definitely wars and or there's rumors of wars. Uh, and you, you see it throughout our culture. I was listening to something the other day. Uh, you know, someone was complaining about, you know, America is on stolen land uh, of from from those that were Native Americans here, and what they don't really understand is, you know, the Native Americans just kept stealing it, not stealing it, but they would conquer each other. Okay, that's that's the way in the history of our world that people come to power is they take land from those that can't defend it, and they brought up the person I was listening to brought up if China would attack us, and then uh, as a nation, and we can't defend ourselves, and now we're we're all like Chinese Americans. We're just Chinese because they took over. Well, we can't just say, "Well, this used to be our land, so you get, you need, uh, give it to us." It doesn't work that way, right? There's always war and rumor of war. Uh, what's the next next rider? Black horse. Okay, and what does that represent again? The black horse. Fam. Okay, and it says there in well, Revelation 6 that its rider had a scale in his hand and uh, a quart of wheat for a denarius. So what is he talking about there with the cost of food? It could be expensive. I don't know. Do you see anything like that happening? Yeah, uh, I just had to stop to get my pick up my car today, and I asked the the guy, "Well, you know, rotate the tires." And the, the lady called back yesterday. Said, "Man, we're not going to rotate them. You need four new tires." Okay, so that's fine. And when I went in today to pick up the car, and they said, "Well, we'll have to wait for the tires. They're coming in next week." And they said, "Just in last month, everything jumped at ten dollars a tire." 
okay? Uh, so it's supply and demand, everything's more expensive. That's this, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. But that's that's this. You see famine and so forth. And uh, I was talking to someone yesterday about you know, food in the schools. You know, if schools are in the the government program and so forth. And some of our Lutheran elementary schools and high schools don't want to be in there because the food is bland. Uh, he was explaining that in one school he had been involved in. Uh, the government would give you beets and because that's what they had a surplus of canned beets well what kid even what adult wants to eat beets okay one person wants to eat beets yeah all right but for those who are watching online that's the next horse that just hit us an earthquake with the camera uh, but but the idea what that the food is so bland that young people don't want to don't want to eat it then and then so much is wasted and that also affects all of this as well. All right, what's the next one? Okay, which is death, and we applied that looking at Matthew twenty four. What does Jesus say? It's not just regular death, because we always see death, but specifically what kind of death? Persecution. I don't know. Do you see persecution of Christians? Yeah, it's coming. And just before I came upstairs, I was in my office working. Uh, someone was texting me about some things, and uh, and I talked to, was texting her about, you know, standing strong in the face of political uh, physical and medical tyranny. Okay, we and, it, and that's going to just then flow into spiritual tyranny. Okay, so the four horsemen. Any questions on the four horsemen? Well, what again is the green horse? The pale green horse is death. But yeah. And, and specifically, I would say when you compare it with Matthew 24, because that's what we're doing. Jesus lays it out with his disciples in spoken language. This is what's coming. But Jesus lays it out in, his, in a vision format to John. So that's the idea you have to say. You know, just like you tell, I think a good way of illustrating this is, you know, you're talking to uh, adults, you can kind of get the idea of the words and so forth. But, you know, I've been reading every week to the, to the students here. You know, the second graders, they're, they're in bigger books. Uh, they're starting Stuart Little. You know, there are very few pictures. But when I read to the uh, preschoolers who's first graders, there's pictures with the words. And that's what Revelation is. It's a, it's a picture book, okay? Uh, but we have to kind of draw the pictures and that's what the painting and so forth is all about. Uh, four Horsemen too, uh, just, just to have fun. I don't know, do you guys know who these guys are? Look like wrestlers, right? They are, yeah. They're the four horsemen of wrestling. I know there's five of them, but one's the guy in the middle with the, uh, with the white shirt, he's, the, he's their manager. See, because I grew up and my dad had no, no interest in NFL football. So on Sundays after church, we'd watch wrestling. So these are the four horsemen, Ric Flair on that side. You would at least know him. Uh, I know none of you would know this because you're not geeky like I am, but these are the four horsemen of the apocalypse from X-Men. Yeah, okay. This is a really bad movie, but growing up, the cartoon was awesome. Okay. But just, just I, I bring it up too, because that imagery of the four horsemen, that's in our culture as well. All right, then... You go on to the next verses of the fifth seal with the souls under the altar. What is that talking about? So you see in verses 9 through 11, the lamb opened the seal and under the altar are the souls of those who had been slaughtered. 
So what this is showing is that while the church on earth is still suffering, the saints in heaven are safe. And what's the symbolism of what they're wearing that shows that they're safe? The white robes. The white robes. Yeah. What does the white robe symbolize? Our sins are washed away. The white robe of baptism. Okay, the white robe of confirmation. Uh, the white robe, or the white wedding dress that uh, a bride wears, she comes down the aisle. That's all that same imagery. Uh, the number, what does that mean when it says, and they were told in verse 11, to rest a little longer until their number would be complete when their fellow servants and their brothers would be put to death as they were. What does that mean? The number is complete. All people have died. All the souls have died. Yeah. So remember this number, that when the number is complete, we're going to see that number in the very next chapter, uh, the number of 144,000. And what that symbolizes. But that's the number. When it's complete, what this is saying is God knows those who are his. That's the doctrine of predestination. Okay, God chooses those who are going to be his. And when those are his, those whom he has called to be his uh, arrive in heaven and they're from the last baby to be born and, uh, and baptized, then judgment day. And God won't bring judgment day until that, until that happens. And then what this is symbolizing then is these saints are safe. Okay. Uh, and then what this is talking about too is Matthew 24, verse 9. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Uh, so from the clues and these list of events, this is saying that uh, this is going to happen after the persecution. So as you see the persecution ramping up in our, in our nation, understand that the fifth seal, it's, it's been opened. It's going to be open. There's going to be even more persecution coming. So this is another image. So just try and find some different things for you to look at. But this is a, a woodcut of uh, the, the saints underneath the altar in heaven while the but while below, Christians are being persecuted, you know, it's just going to be a long, uh, as awful as it is for us, it'll just last a short time. You know, the blink of an eye, and then we'll be in heaven and we'll be counted on, among the number of saints underneath the altar. And then the sixth seal is opened. Uh, if you go back to Matthew 24, verses 29 to 30, I'll read those. And as I read them, uh, think about what does the opening of the sixth seal represent? Uh, starting with verse 29. Immediately after the misery of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give us light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky. And at that time, all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the son of man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. So what does the sixth seal represent in Revelation? There was a great earthquake. The sun became as black as sackcloth made of hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when it's shaken by a strong wind. The sky was removed like a scroll being rolled up. Every mountain and island was moved from its place. What is it talking about? The last day. So the sixth seal is uh, the now judgment day is here. The judgment day. Uh, so the, the seals, you know, imagine a seal on a scroll. 
and each one you peel off and you read a little bit more of it and these are the things that are going to happen and this is getting steadily worse and worse now you get to that sixth seal and again much of the description of what we see in judgment day is taken from the old testament prophets as god mentions what he's going to do to his enemies what do you think about the confession the confession of the lack of faith of those in revelation chapter 6 during the last judgment verse 15 the kings of the earth the nobles the military leaders the rich the powerful and everyone slave or free hidden caves and among the rocks of the mountains and they kept saying to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the lamb for the day of for the great day of their wrath has come who is able to stand So what are they doing there? Why are they calling out? Why? Yeah, they, they know the gig is up. They're trying to hide because they would rather have the mountains fall on them than what? Than face God. So this gives us comfort as Christians too, doesn't it? How? This is pretty scary stuff. The judgment on the unbelievers is going to be so bad, they're hoping for a landslide, an earthquake, something to keep them away from the judge Jesus. How is that a comfort for us as God's saints? We don't have to be afraid, right? But what else? Well, what does God say? We shouldn't take vengeance on people, right? We turn the other cheek. Because what does God say? And I remember from the King James, vengeance, vengeance is mine, so saith the Lord, right? From the King James, vengeance is mine, so saith the Lord. So how is this a comfort for us as Christians? It's vengeance. Just take care. Yeah. Don't you worry about just yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't be afraid. Vengeance is coming. So I watched a video the other day, just a short clip. It was, from someone in a vehicle, say like where I am to the edge of the room, and they must have been videotaping this as a as they were stopped in traffic, and a younger guy was pounding on the door of a vehicle, the driver's door, and all of a sudden he backed up, and the older guy uh, got out, and he's packing, you know, and he's holding his hand over here, and that that younger guy he took off running. Yeah, vengeance was coming if he kept messing around like that. And isn't that exactly what happens? You know, you're messing around with, uh, you know, someone's messing around with their kid. Or I, another story that I read a couple weeks ago of, a, I think it was like a nine or 10 year old boy had told his dad that there was this uh, young man who kept uh, coming up to him at the bus stop and then would talk to him and then rub his back and get lower and so forth. And so, well, what do you think dad did? Dad went and he dropped the kid off at the bus stop and then he sat in his vehicle and he recorded it. And then he went out and when he saw the guy do that to his son, that was the last time that guy did it because the, the pictures of that guy uh, at the police station, his face is pretty black and blue and bloody and so forth. Because, and, and, I, and I use that imagery of, that's what God does for us, right? We're the kids. We're like nine and 10-year-old boys against adults. We can't protect ourselves. But, but God, our father, sitting there, he's coming with vengeance. So we don't need to worry about it. Anything on, on that section? So with that, again, picking up on what uh, Jesus is telling John here. Okay. What are, you, what, are you, what are you asking, Larry? Uh, well, I said kings, nobles, leaders, and everyone, slave or free, get in the caves. Oh. Everyone. Right. I, I think understood, though, are the unbelievers. From the least to the greatest, they say it from the greatest to the least, from the kings and rulers down to the slaves. But. 
No. No, not not like uh, it's not going to be a rapture. Not like uh, the non-denominational and evangelical churches teach. It's because their idea of a rapture is you're taking taking to heaven before judgment day. But this is there's no such thing. It's judgment day. Yep. Yeah, and so they. Yeah, uh, so there's going to be two people working in the field, one's taken and the other's left. But what that's talking about is not a rapture, that's talking about the suddenness of Judgment Day. Boom. Judgment Day is here. That's the idea there. Uh, but with these uh, slaves all the way to kings, uh, afraid of Jesus, they have to, on that last day, even though they ignored him his entire their entire lives, they're going to have to give a confession of faith, which is exactly what Paul writes in Philippians 2. Therefore, God also highly exalted him, him being Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So unbelievers will mourn when they see their God. They will confess that God and his son, the lamb, are real. But it's going to be too late. They could have made that confession as a confession of faith and then been with us and the rest of the saints under the altar. But instead, they're hiding with the rest of the unbelievers. So one last thing before we move on to the next chapter. How should we feel about persecution coming into our lives? Yeah, we should expect it. What, what's one of the reasons why we get so upset about persecution? It's not fun. Well, it's not fun, but also we don't expect it, right? I was listening to something the other day, uh, and the, the gentleman said that he usually, when he figures things out, he figures them out from the worst scenario to the best. What, what is the, what's the benefit of something like that? If you're planning, say you're starting a business or you're even just uh, moving to a new, new house uh, with, a, with a new job. What's the benefit of having a worst case scenario uh, outlook? What, what's the benefit of that? Well, then it's not gonna be worse. It can only be better. It can only be better, it can't get worse. What else? Cautious. Yeah. Well, and this person said too, he's thankful. Because, uh, and this is, I think, the attitude that most people uh, outside of America, maybe most people outside of America today have, because life is really rough for them. And it's probably the reaction of most people throughout history because life has been really rough for them. And then when things get go well for them, when they're expecting it to be really awful, they're going to be grateful. But what is our attitude as 21st century American citizens, even as Christians? We're soft and we're used to having everything nice and easy and if anything bad happens. Sometimes this evil is unreasonable, you know, even when it's coming. Yeah. You don't expect it. Yeah. So, so for example, I had, I filled up my water bottle yesterday, just a simple, simple thing. Ah, taste didn't taste good. You know, someone, someone had posted on uh, Facebook uh, with Racine, I, I don't know, Racine News or something like that. Uh, someone I know had said, has the water in Racine tasted bad? Like, so I taste, oh, it tasted, tastes bad. Well, it tastes bad all over the world, doesn't it? Where people are walking in Africa miles to go get some water from a, a muddy water hole and try and get it, bring it back and boil it and clean it. And I'm, you know, I'm going to complain about. Well, article a few years ago said Racine has some of the best water in the country. Yeah, but just a simple thing like that, or even foggy. You know, if we may complain about it being foggy today, instead of hey, I got, I get to go in a car, I get to turn lights on, I get to go someplace, whatever it is. But because we, as 21st century Americans, we are everything's so nice, like, like you said, soft. 
and then we complain when things don't go well. You asked about persecution before. Were you asking about persecution because we're Christian? Yes. Or just persecution just trying to get through life? Because you're, well, you're white male. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I'm talking about but, uh, persecution of Christians, but just that idea, the reason I went on that tangent is because we are soft and we expect things to go well for us. And then now there's persecution coming. Like Jamie said, we should expect it. What else? How else should we act to persecution? I always say God's in control. Because I really, if I let my earthly, sinful mind go, I get scared. Yeah. I think, I think it's important, too, to find other Christians. Because when you're standing alone, what can happen? You're ganged up on. It's easy to be bullied when you're by yourself. And yet, when you've got a couple of people that believe the exact same thing that you do, it's easier, isn't it? And that's one of the things... Uh, Governments love to do because we will see later on that the uh, the government is one of the beasts out of the sea uh, that it wants to persecute Christians. It's the history of governments. The apostate church loves to persecute Christians because it's the opposite of the Christian church. And what does it do? These these beasts they separate people, and we like to be separated. And we, we like to be on our social media. We like to be in our homes. We're older and don't want to go out. I know that I'm older. Just stay at home. We separate ourselves. But the whole reason we come together for something like this is so that we're together and we need to be together and then we're stronger. Yeah, I say that. I know there's persecution going on in the world that I've gotten through my whole life and I've never once felt persecuted because I was a Christian. Yep. And that's, but that's the thing, it's, it's going to be coming. Uh, and what we need, I've always said it, is what we need in America is good old-fashioned persecution. Because what happens when... No thanks. I know, no thanks. And yet what happens when Christians are persecuted? What has happened in the history of the church? We get stronger and the church grows. So that, I, I forgot to mention that before with the white horse. The white horse is the gospel that spread throughout the earth, and especially during times of persecution, because when everything is going well, you don't see a lot of famine or a lot of persecution or a lot of the earthquakes, all that stuff. When we think God is protecting us, what happens to our Christianity and the Christian church? We get lazy, we get soft. And yet when the Christian church is persecuted and we, we're moving around, what happens? And we get stronger and it grows. So where do you see right now the white horse of the gospel being spread out? Give me some examples. Africa. How, how, how about Africa? So the Christian church in Africa, and they're sending missionaries to America, which is pretty amazing. Someone said China. Why China? What's happening in China? Well, I think we were over there in the schools, and we had false churches and trying to, you know, people are coming into these false churches and they don't have room for them, and they have to, because they have to do it in secret. Yeah. What else? Give me one more example. That's where it started, right? Christianity in Asia? Well, it started over in that Middle East area. Another example is just even in our wells with uh, the online presence. Uh, more and more of our members, I'm finding out, are listening to the podcasts. Uh, Pastor Hagen, who does the Raised with Jesus podcast, he sent me a graphic that we had 1.3 thousand downloads last week. And then we're all listening to our Thirsty podcast. He said that people probably went and found, and we went looking for our Thirsty podcast and then found that he was doing the daily Bible readings again. 
okay? Uh, but our own members are using that for their Bible studies. More and more of our members are saying they're watching these Revelation Bible studies on YouTube. Uh, I was texting someone that's in Mark Blauert's adult confirmation class, but that's via Zoom. She's down in Illinois, okay? And Pastor Lightning's brother, I was talking to him last month. His job is working for the Wells in connecting uh, a lot of other cultures and uh, nationalities, as we're going to see in Revelation 7, all of these different people that speak different languages, and then having our Bible, you know, like the EHV and people's Bibles and other things translated into other languages. And that only happens because of the internet. It is. And then they brought in a couple million Muslims you know, into Europe from Syria and everything else. Right. And so where where you see Christianity decreasing in Europe and America, then you see, well, if they're going to, again, using biblical imagery, uh, Jesus tells the disciples, if they're not going to, uh, when he sends out the disciples in groups of two to different towns, and he says, if uh, they're not going to welcome you, Shake the dust off of your feet. Go somewhere else. Another imagery is don't cast your pearls before swines. Before swine. So the imagery there is applying it to today. If America and Europe don't want the gospel, God will take it away. He'll give it to China and Africa, the people that want it. You know, just like if you make dinner and one of your kids doesn't, one of your kids or grandkids doesn't want what you made, what are you going to do? Throw it away? You said it's China, so you used to tell the kids, yeah. No. Hey, one of your other uh, good grandkids likes the food you made. Give it to him or her, right? Uh, so the image, again, as I was looking for imagery on the sixth seal, it was really hard to find, but I thought this was a, uh, this looks like a 17th or 18th century painting, but just the imagery of the destruction of the last of the last day of judgment. Uh, the last thing then about persecution, how should we feel about the prospects of persecution? Acts 5, 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. We should rejoice when persecution comes because if persecution doesn't come, it's maybe because they don't know we're Christians. Uh, James, consider complete joy, my brothers, whenever you fall into various kinds of trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces patient endurance. And so there, because we're being persecuted, we're stronger in our faith. Okay, then let's get to Revelation chapter 7. This, is, this one's a lot more familiar. You, you read Revelation 7 a lot for We'll, we'll hear it again, All Saints Day, November 1st, Saints Triumphant, the third Sunday of end times. John says, after this, I saw four angels who stood at the four corners of the earth. They were holding back the four winds of the earth so that the wind could not blow on the earth, the sea or any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east who had the seal of the living God. He called out with a loud voice to the four angels who were given power to harm the earth and the sea. He said, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have placed a seal on the forehead of God's servants. And I heard the number of those sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of the people of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 who were sealed. After these things, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could come from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing in front of the throne and of the Lamb, 
clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands, they called out with a loud voice and said, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and might belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. One of the elders spoke to me and said, These people dressed in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? And I answered him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who are coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Because of this, they are in front of the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. They will never be hungry or thirsty ever again. The sun will never beat upon them, nor will any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to spring of, springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Okay. Uh, what is the seal of the living God? So a seal was placed on their foreheads. Well, that's what we're going to look at. So a seal marks something. Okay, with cattle and sheep, what do you put on them? Brand. A brand. Okay. Uh, with your kids, when they go to school and they all have the same backpacks and stuff, what do you do? Uh, I was I was helping uh, Shelly fold clothes on Monday, and I said, "Oh, with one daughter in the house, I can finally fold clothes again," because they're all four girls are exactly the same size. So all their jeans all look exactly the same. Somehow, Shelly has this magical mom gift can know whose is whose. Dad, I'll fold my clothes. The rest of you do yours. Uh, but. You know, it, it would have made it easier if the girls would have had all the clothes up the same and then wrote on, on it, but they didn't. Okay, so I didn't fold clothes. What is the seal? Again, biblical imagery, Ezekiel 9, verse 4. Uh, if you want to read Ezekiel 9 on your own, you can. But uh, the Lord said to Ezekiel, go through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a cross mark on their foreheads of those who moan and lament over the abominations being committed in her. So the mark that's put on these people's heads is the Hebrew letter Tav, which later becomes the letter T. What does a T look like? Cross. Cross. I was wondering if it had anything to do with the idea of the ash Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly what it is. So to think of four or 500 years before Jesus is crucified on a cross and the cross has become a universal symbol of Christianity. Isn't it interesting that God is telling his angel in symbolic language to go through the people, go through the city and put a cross on people's foreheads. And so Jamie mentioned the cross that we might put on an ash with the ashes. Now, as Lutherans, we're always nervous about doing the ashes on the side of a cross on our foreheads. We can do it. It's not just a Roman Catholic thing, but most of the time now we do it with the, with the Ash Wednesday banner. But when is the time that we, uh, that we mark in our lives as Christians of putting a cross on our forehead? Baptism. baptism. So this is a symbol of baptism. All those who had the sign of the cross, the seal, what does that seal mark us as? As belonging to Christ. Christ put that seal on our foreheads, on our, the pastor says, on the head to the heart, marking you as a redeemed child of Christ. There you go. And that's why I always encourage people, and I'll be talking about this in Bible study in a few weeks on our Lutheran worship, uh, to go ahead and, and when you see the pastor, especially in the invocation and the absolution, and the benediction, so at least those three times in the service, when he makes that sign of the cross, you can make the sign of the cross over you, okay? Because it reminds you of your baptism. It reminds you of the seal that was placed on you in your baptism, 
that will be placed on you again in heaven. Why don't they then, like any school, have us start doing that? I think Catholics do. Mm -hmm. Uh, that is a very good question. I think Lutherans have gotten away from it because the Catholics do it. Yeah. But I always say, why let the Roman Catholics get all the fun stuff? Right. And so when I teach uh, eighth grade catechism class right now, we, so we start the day by praying Luther's morning prayer every morning. Now we're praying Luther's or the Lord's prayer uh, along with their memory work. But when I say the, the Lord's Prayer with, I mean, uh, Luther's Morning Prayer with them, or when I do chapel uh, over at the elementary school and middle school at First Evan, I tell them, all right, we're going to pray this prayer. And when I make the sign of the cross, you're, you'd make the sign of the cross. A few of them do it, but it's just trying to get them into that idea. Because Luther does say that every morning and every evening, we should begin and end the day with his Luther's Morning and Evening Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer. And then cross ourselves. Okay. Uh, what are the first four angels holding back? You know, what are these winds? It's the destruction that's coming. Again, Daniel 7, verse 2. Daniel said, during my visions at night, I was watching and saw the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. In the Old Testament, wind sometimes symbolizes the forces of the earth that God would stir up against his enemies. So here, the four angels are holding back the final destruction of the world. Destruction of the world, that is coming from the Lord? Mm-hmm. Yep, the destruction is coming from the Lord. The four winds, the four corners of the earth, four points of the compass. All right, 144,000. Does that mean there's only 144,000 wells people in, in heaven? Yeah. What is this number? Is this a literal number? How do you know it's not a literal 144,000? What clues are given there? And you got this is like really inside Old Testament stuff. Not all of these are the tribes of Israel either. Uh, I think it's Naphtali and Manasseh. I have to check, but uh, two of the two of them that are pictured here are the sons of Joseph. And Joseph did not have a tribe. Okay. Uh, so, it, but it's, it's symbolism. 144,000. So what did we say the number three is before in Revelation? That's the number of God, the Trinity. What does the number four symbolize? Earth. Yeah, the directions, the, the earth, humanity. So uh, when we add three and four together, what number do we get? Seven. And seven is the number of the covenant, God's promise. When you multiply three times four together, what do you get? Twelve. And what is twelve the number of? The tribes of the Old Testament and the apostles. So twelve is the number of the church. So what do you get? And then ten is the number of completeness. So you take twelve times 12, times 10, times 10. No, that's, I'm doing my, trying to do math in my head, so I'm getting myself up. That's right? Whew. All right. Uh, it, yeah, so you have the number of all of, so what is it? Uh, yeah, you have 12 times 12, 144, times 10, times 10, times 10, 1,000, 144,000, what is this symbolizing? All of God's people. That's it. All of God's people are pictured here. And how else do you know in verse 9? So here's another picture I found of all of God's saints around the throne. Just, you know, I like that imagery. Just, you can't even see the end. 
How else do you know, according to verse 9, that this is a symbolic number? John says, after these things, I looked, and there was a great multitude that, but I thought I just counted them. Right? And where are they, uh, where are they from? This is so important. Everywhere, every nation, tribe, people, and language, everything that divides us, it's gone. And these are all people that made it? Yeah. So there's a lot of people that make it. Yeah, there's a lot of people that make it to heaven, yeah. But it's one of the things I've been talking with my eighth graders about when we studied the Tower of Babel, and we talked about the beginning of races, but I, I showed them a vis. Uh, a video from Ken, Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis saying there are no races. I'm trying to get, get them because they're all different skin colors in eighth grade in our school. Say we're not different races. We're not Hispanic or Anglo or Black. We're all of Adam's race. That was even something that Ken Ham said, you know, when you get the census every 10 years, don't put down white or Black or Hispanic or whatever. Put down Adam's race and see what... See what the government does with that. Because we're all, yeah, we're, we're all part of the human race. And, but he's bringing everyone together. And where are they coming out of? Verse, seven, verse 14. Yeah, they're coming. What, so what is that talking about? Right, they were still alive at the end time. And what is a great tribulation? That's right now, right? Well, they, and what's important is these are those who, uh, in, I think in previous translations, those who have come out of the great tribulation. The EHV translates it, those who are coming out. What, why is it important, the tense of that verb? Those who have come out versus those who are coming out. Present tense. Present tense. Yeah, why is that important? It's now. Exactly. So when you see, uh, so there's a number of our, our members that are elderly and you know not doing well health-wise. Well, and they go to heaven, say in a week, a month, whatever, John sees them in heaven. God sees maybe your spouse, your parents, your children. He sees them going to heaven because it's a present tense. It's not past and it's done. It's present and it's ongoing until judgment day. Just that, that tense of that verb is so important. Yep. Okay. So if we have heaven now, mm -hmm. and the tribulation has been going on since, since what, the beginning of earth? Yeah, since the fall and the sin, the tribulation. Yep. Creation. Yeah. And so when uh, Joel, what is it, the tribulation is for a thousand years. Yeah, we're going to be looking at the thousand years in a little bit. Not quite yet. All right. Any of you recognize this? Yeah, it's one of our paintings. This is during the season of end times. So uh, the end of, well, beginning of October, we'll be putting this painting up. What is the imagery here? It's right from Revelation 7. What is the lamb? Christ. Notice the wound. All right. Uh, how about the, the nimbus? So this is something I learned from Pastor Pope. So there's three rays around the nimbus. So this painting, along with the other corresponding painting on the other side of the church of Jesus in his human form sitting on the same throne, also has that nimbus with three rays. And he would say in regular paintings, let's see. So like this painting, you notice there are uh, just a, a nimbus around people's heads, signifying their saints. But notice with this one, there are the three rays coming from it, and that in art pictures the divinity. Okay, so just something 
simple like a halo, we would call it a halo, but a nimbus. How about, since I've got this painting up there, the, the altar, not the altar, I'm sorry, the throne. What is the symbol on the back of the throne of a circle and the three interconnected ellipses? What is that a symbol of? The Trinity. So a circle being united and eternal, but then the three interlocking uh, like half circles. And then down at the bottom, I can't really see it with this painting, but if you've been to Greece, you've noticed this. It's down here, it's these waves. And actually, if you look at, uh, I've seen it like in Congress and so forth, it's on the walls, they don't know what it is. But I learned this when I was in Greece, and that's why it's incorporated here. This is a symbol of uh, eternity. It's a it's a heathen symbol, but we can we can take heathen symbols and and adopt them into Christianity too. Is just like the waves on a sea seem endless, and so that's why that's down there. Is that it's an eternal throne, okay? And then carrying the banner, the Christian banner. So we have a, a flag in the back of our sanctuary, the Christian banner, very similar. And then the saints. How are the saints pictured here, like they're pictured in Revelation 7? What are they wearing? Okay, we, we symbolize the white robe as Christ's righteousness. The crown, what does that symbolize? Royalty. We're, we're sons and daughters of the king brothers and sisters of the king, the palm branches. Yeah, our enthusiasm, our excitement, Palm Sunday, they're wearing, waving palm branches. Uh, then you have the river of life that flows through. We'll see that in Revelation 21 and 22. And then New Jerusalem, the golden city with the uh, the tree of life in the background, okay? But again, if, when you see this painting for a month, it's, it's only for four weeks during end times. When you see this up there, that's imagery exactly from Revelation chapter seven. They used that in Isaiah. Okay. Yeah, and again, this, this symbolism is elsewhere. And then the last part I wanted to focus on is right toward the end, those phrases. What will each mean for you in verses 17 to 15? They are before the throne of God. What does that mean? Yeah, you're with God. And not, you know, we're with God now, but we don't see him. This is, we'll see God with our own eyes. They serve him day and night in his temple. What does that, what does that mean? Yeah, and we got work to do. It's good to work. Like I was telling Shelly this morning, I said, I was, I was uh, excited to come to church because I got uh, some Bible study stuff done between dropping Bell off and then coming here. I would, I would finish writing a Bible study for end times. Uh, what no no i was sitting uh but but you know this when you've got a job that you like to do you like to do it and this is the job we like to do serving jesus god will spread his tent over them what's the imagery there the comfort protection, protection. the tabernacle is he's protecting us uh, never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. Why is that a good one? Yeah. And we're, we're never going to be hungry, never going to be thirsty. So we were driving to Bell's cross country meet yesterday. And Shell said, I had some, I got some food. Uh, you want some snap peas or some pistachios? I said, 
are snap peas fruit? Yes, they are. So then I'll eat them. And I obviously know they're not fruit, but she knows that I really detest vegetables. Uh, so if they're fruit, I'll eat them. Okay. Uh, but we don't hunger. We don't thirst. Uh, how about the sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat? Yeah, you're going to be comfortable, exactly. You know what? Uh, and the lamb will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. What's the comfort there? You don't have to make any decisions, but what else? He's the leader. Yeah. Sheep are dumb, aren't they? And stinky, yeah. Yeah, and oily. You know, I had a, we, we raised sheep. I helped my dad shear sheep. I, my job was always to catch a sheep. That was fun. But yeah, you would get that oil because there's oil in that wool. And he would be shearing the sheep. And you get that all over yourself. And, uh, but sheep, they'll drink anything. And even if it's awful water, okay, he's going to lead us to the right water to the right food, to the green pastures and the quiet waters. And the last verse, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Why is that such a comfort? Yeah. All the stuff we're going through right now and all the stuff that we expect to be going through, it's all gone. Because God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. All the mourning and sadness and pain that we put up with, it's gone. All right. Anything else on Revelation chapter six or seven? All right. So you can read ahead. Because what I found, because uh, I've done this with my own Bible study in Revelation, is to read through it, kind of figure out what it's talking about. And then when you go through it again, it makes it that much easier instead of just reading it uh, cold the first time. All right. Cold, so